0: I want to say, as you do so, a very special God bless you to every family member who may be here with your family today, like you brought somebody extra, somebody came from Texas, somebody came from Oklahoma, somebody came from out of town here in Arkansas, wherever you've traveled from to hear me preach, I am so honored by that, that you said, hey, I'm going to make sure, Oh, I know you came to see your family, but you put this first, but we really appreciate you being in service with us today. I promise not to be long-winded. Our church family does not believe that. But, you know, we debated amongst ourselves. This is just, I'll, I'll share with you the world of the preachers for just a little bit. Um, we debated about what to do with this service because we're only three years in. We don't have a great history with the candlelight service. That's something that's been new to our church. Our attendance has been growing with it. But, and, and I felt like it was a good service, a great night. All the people that helped us in any level whether in the sanctuary or back in the back, especially the decor and the team, the kitchen team, knocked it way out of the park. I mean, Babe rooftop home run, you know, went over the wall. And we really appreciate it. And Chelsea and the children, the area that was designated for the kids' games was just a great—it was a great night. I mean, it was a, it was a, a 10, you know, out of 10. And, uh, but at the same time, when, you, when you're coming off of this, you, you're a little bit boxed in, uh both in worship and in preaching at the candlelight service and so we were debating about what to do with this service here and we just kind of resolved i said let's wait and see where i'm at after my sermon preparation on saturday and you know i searched the word i searched my heart because i really wasn't for sure exactly where i was going to go and i really felt like the lord gave me something that i'm excited to be able to share so we chose to add a full worship set This morning, And so, again, Caleb said it best. If you came here thinking we were just going to have a little quaint Christmas service, you're probably in the wrong place. Because we do believe in in the child, but we also believe in the resurrected Son of God. Amen, somebody? Now, with that said, that doesn't mean that we don't find value in the Christmas narrative because that's where I'm going to be at today. But I'm going to ask you here very quickly um, to turn with me to Matthew's Gospel. We're going to go to chapter 2 you just were seated, you're new to our church, you hadn't even filled a visitor card out, there's one in the uh, seat in front of you, fill it out, we'd love to have a record of your visit, you just got seated, you just got comfortable, the ladies just got their purses tucked under the seat, and we're going to ask you to stand up one more time, but that's just what we do around here, we just try our very best to honor the reading of the scripture, at least the opening text of the word of God, Matthew's gospel, Chapter number 2, page 1140 in my Bible, if that helps you. If not, it's on the screen in front of you. Here it says, it's a familiar record. I was afraid that Shane was going to go. I'm glad you were in the temple and not in this text, Shane, a moment ago. And when Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, there came wise men from the east to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he that is born king of the Jews? For we have seen his star in the east and are come to worship him. And when Herod the king had heard these things, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And when he had gathered all the chief priests and the scribes of the people together, he demanded of them where Christ should be born. And they said unto him, In Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet, It's a quotation from Micah the prophet. He says, And thou, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, art not the least among the princes of Judah? For out of thee shall come a governor that shall rule my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had privately called the wise men, inquired of them diligently what time the star appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search diligently for the young child, And when you have found him, bring me word again that I may come and worship him also. Verse 9, and when they heard the king, they departed. And lo, the star which they saw in the east went before them till it came and stood over where the young child was. And when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. And when they were coming to the house, They saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. That's a familiar passage of Scripture, isn't it? I'm going to extract from this today a title of our message, and I won't elaborate on it as of yet. And this is the title. I put it on the phone tree yesterday. The star was not in the sky. So you can think on that with me for a moment. The star was not in the sky. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And I am so honored to be in this house and privileged. God, though I said it with jest a moment ago, for every person, including family members who may have traveled to be with family for Christmas, who've come to honor you. Like the magi of old, they've come to honor that child. God, we pray, Lord, that the same Spirit, the Spirit of the Living God, would be upon our eyes to see, and our ears to hear, and our heart to understand. Now I prayed this privately, and I want to pray it audibly and publicly. God, would you make me as the oracles of God today? That I have a word in season for the people today. And as Caleb prayed earlier, we'll pray it again right now. Let preaching come easy in this house. It's in Jesus' name, and all God's children said, Amen and amen. Before I begin to develop this text of scripture, I'd like to share with you just some open confession and transparency about Christmas from the, from the heart of a pastor who's been pastoring now for um, right at 28 years and preaching for longer than that, several years longer than that, about 10 years longer than that. Um, often Christmas is a, it's a challenging time to minister. You wouldn't think that would be the case, but, but it is. Uh, it's challenging to minister, not necessarily the 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 word side of it but first of all every pastor has an internal conviction number one that says nowhere in scripture are we exhorted to make special reference or to celebrate his birth I know you're quiet on here but that's just the truth we're not as Shane said earlier he was born to die however we're not forbidden from recognizing this day either And so it comes, if you really want my heart on it, I think it comes down to Romans 14, verses four and five, where Paul talked about special days or holy days. He said, if you determine one day has greater value than another day, he said, that's between you and the Lord. He said, you have gotta be fully persuaded in your own mind. And that's the way that I actually feel about Christmas. Two, number two, what is supposedly holy has now become commercialized we all know this and uh, yet people here's where the but here's where the challenge for the preacher is people within the church and even without the church look to the pastor to make what has become secular sacred and that's a difficult thing to do now over the years i've become in my own heart indifferent to christmas celebration i'm neither necessarily for nor against I want to say this i don't think all folklore and tradition is necessarily evil i do not and i certainly don't want to scar the children today the first time they've been in service with me and they walk out and say our pastor is the grinch all he needed was a mountain and a cave to live in or our pastor is pastor ebenezer you know obviously that is not my intention and i'm not there at all today But what I've done is, just me personally, what I've attempted over the years, because I've wrestled with those emotions, what I've attempted to do is look past the modern celebration and see if I can extract anything from the scriptural narrative. Can I I, I go over that familiar story with a microscope? Can I go over it and look so so closely to see, is there anything in the scriptural narrative or the historical narrative that I might stir your heart with in any way, in any way? And so when you consider the Christmas narrative, it's actually only contained in two of the four gospels. Luke gives us an account. Matthew gives us an account. Luke's account deals with the census of Augustus that resulted in the journey uh, from Beth, uh, or from uh, where they dwelt in Nazareth, Mary and Joseph to Bethlehem. The second record is the one that I chose to read from today, and that's here of the journey of what we call the Magi, and they make their long and arduous journey uh, to Jerusalem, arriving first in Jerusalem, and secondly, there in Bethlehem. Now, so Matthew tells us of the story of the arrival of the Magi, but he doesn't necessarily tell us the story of the Magi. So you have to pause and think on that for just a moment. He simply tells us that we have no historical background here in the Scriptures. We have no record. They're simply listed as King James English, wise men from the East. So uh, that's their history, who they are, ha- and how or why they were looking into the heavens upon the illumination of what we have noted as the star. We have no biblical record. So here's the things that you can glean from if you'll take the time as I have. And I'm going to share this because I think it's going to help you understand this narrative here for just a few moments. It's thought by some that they were kings, possibly out of the region of Persia. As, as we know, upon the, the Fertile Crescent, if you were to look on your map, and you would see they were of the east because it would be north and then to the east. And would almost bring, if they were in what was been uh, the, the region of the historical Babylon, then it would have been almost due east of the city of Jerusalem and some some believe that they were kings themselves and we don't usually reference them from Babylon at that time but rather than but be Persia many believe the magi to be either of Jewish descent and you wonder why would that be I'll tell you in a moment or at least heavily influenced by the Jewish population that was still living in the former Babylon area and Persia at that particular time and history notes here's what history notes If you know anything about the biblical narrative, in 586 B.C. when Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian army, came and destroyed then the city of Jerusalem and the temple. They took many thousands and thousands of people captive. It's known as the, the Babylonian exile. And many years later, 70 plus years later, there was a decree by the Persian king Cyrus to allow the Jews to return to their homeland and build the city, rebuild the city of Jerusalem. But many Jews chose not to return. So the belief is that there was influence. And in either the Magi that we read about were, again, of Jewish descent or were heavily influenced by Jews that were living in that part of the world. During that time of the exile, we do have biblical record of the fame of Daniel and his three Hebrew brothers who were cast into the fire. Right? Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Right? And we also have, during that time period a little bit later, we have the record of Esther and Mordecai, right? And even during that time and even, the, you know, we, the, some of the celebrations that we have today in the Jewish community are traced from that particular time. And with this, you may remember that with Esther going before the king and securing the salvation of the Jews, once they defended themselves on that fateful day, and you can read all this on your own in the book of Esther, the, the the scripture says, based upon the influence of Mordecai and Esther's intercession, that many of the Persians themselves chose to follow the God of Mordecai and became Jews themselves in that sense, not necessarily in progeny, but in faith. And I'm, I'm putting all that together because it's a part of the picture. It's a part of the picture of, of the stimulus that the Magi, though they were anywhere from five to nine hundred years away, but they had this conviction of Yahweh that they had it is believed that Daniel's influence had possibly uh, moved many of them to to move away from the worship of their plurality of God into monotheism if I say it correctly the worship of the one true God Yahweh now it is believed that many of the Persians were both astronomers and astrologers and we know this by historical record we see some of that with the magi now, what we often don't talk about in the church is this, is that many in the Jewish, the early Jewish community themselves, look to the stars for some type of divine wisdom. Now, if in the purest sense, though, it would not be necessarily astrology. Let me see if I can develop this for you for just a moment. Astrology is when you fall down and you worship the host of heaven. You worship the star. You worship the moon. You worship the sun as many pagan communities fell prey to and even Jews did at various times in their history. But a a part of their history, there was a belief that the Jews could look to the stars for that Yahweh, the God of heaven. The creator of the sun, the moon, and the stars who hung them in the night sky. To reveal his glory. Come on somebody. Could also use them to tell even important events related to what was happening on the earth. Did you know the first century historian, the Jewish historian Josephus. Writes about a commonly held either Jewish fable or fact. And that is that Yahweh gave wisdom to Adam first about the stars. About searching into the stars For revelation from Yahweh. Not to worship the stars, but that the stars would give wisdom to the people that are on the earth. It's a commonly held Jewish belief. And then Adam passed that to Seth. And then lastly, it was passed to Enoch. But then by the time we read later in the centuries, much of that knowledge had been lost. And most probably because astrology was folded in. And people began to not look for the wisdom of God as revealed through the natural elements but rather to worship the natural elements as God. So are y'all out there today? So, so all of that has to be factored in because many believe that the magi are a part of a group of either astrologers or astronomers, wise men or magicians, if you will, that were mentioned in the book of Daniel. Anybody remember that when Daniel was there in the, in the palace of Babylon, the scripture tells us that there were the wise men and the ma- magicians, Uh, that could not interpret the king's dream, but Daniel was numbered among them, and he interpreted the dream because of the divine insight that God gave him. So many believe that the Magi were actually a part of that group, the the continuation of that group. Tradition does hold, as I stated earlier, that Daniel's influence led many to embrace the Jewish monotheism. I struggle to say those words that I don't use every day. It is widely held belief that the Magi from the East, as noted, again, were of either Jewish descent or of Jewish influence, and they're looking to the stars for some type of divine wisdom, but one in particular stands out. It is believed that they were looking to the stars for the promise of the coming of Messiah. They were looking for, so they weren't just stargazing, they were looking for a particular message that God the Creator, Elohim, would Yahweh, the God of the heavens, would speak through the stars, revealing a particular moment when the Messiah would come. And so if that's the case, if while living, let's just say they're living in Persia, modern-day Iran, if they're living there, uh, and, and, and they are got Jewish influence or they're of Jewish descent, and they're using their means, their scientific means, to look into the night sky to observe the stars, and they're looking in particular for a divine word that the Messiah would come or has come into the earth. The question then has to be asked to, this, uh, to add it to this equation is, but why? What, what would move them? What would be in their heart and mind? What would give them the notion that the heavens would declare the time in which the Messiah would be born? Well, we have to go to the scriptures for this. And so here's what most believe. Most believe that looking to the stars was a result of a prophecy that had been made 1,500 years earlier. How many of you know God's timetable and yours is not the same? Right, 1,500 years earlier that the man that had made this prophecy was some, and this might be just Jewish fables, some say he was the founder of the sect of wise men or magi of the east. And so in the biblical narrative, and I've been preaching on the book of Numbers, and I'm going to get there for three verses today here in just a moment, a little bit farther than where we are at and where we'll pick back up possibly next week for, for sure in the, in the month of January. There's a, the Bible gives us a record when the children of Israel are getting close to enter the promised land. And as they're getting close into the Promised Land, they've started to experiment with warfare. And they've, they've brought war upon Amalek, or the Amorites, excuse me. And they've utterly destroyed the Amorites. And when they utterly destroyed the Amorites, the Bible says that Balak, the king of Moab, saw the number of the children of Israel, and he was greatly distressed because he thought to himself, look what they've done to the Amorites, me and my people cannot stand against such a host. But he believed in astrology and idolatry. And so Balak called an unlikely figure, a descendant of Abraham through Ishmael, an Arab named Balaam, Balaam the son of Beor. Some call him a prophet, others say he was an astrologer, and some say he was a sorcerer. But they called him, Balak called Balaam to curse the children of Israel because he believed that Balaam had powers in the supernatural and if he spoke a blessing or spoke a cursing then the gods were obligated to fulfill the word and so Balaam comes uh, from the east uh, and he comes uh, unto the the area there of the land of Moab and Balaam takes Balak or excuse me Balak takes Balaam up on a mountain a high mountain and Balaam has obtained a sum of money and Balaam looks down along with balak and he sees encamped in the valley the children of israel and if you know anything about their encampment the tent the the tabernacle would have been in the center and the tribes would have been all around and i won't go into all of it but it was in the form of a cross and the glory of god would have been right in the middle are you out there and so balak is counting out his silver coins to give to balaam (coughs) and balaam (coughs) clears his throat And he gets ready to open his mouth and to pronounce a curse upon the children of Israel. But much to his surprise and to Balak's surprise, rather than curse Israel, he blesses Israel. Now, don't get the preacher started on Christmas Eve. When I start, I could easily preach about God can cause your enemies to bless you. Come on, somebody. I won't go there. I know this is a holy day for us. I won't go there. But, But with this, so that just infuriates and frustrates Balak. And so Balak then moves him to another mountain and he says, All right, get it right this time. And <clears throat> Balaam does it again, gets that fresh water bottle, <clears, <throat> clears his throat, opens his mouth, and he starts to curse the children of Israel and outflows the blessing. Balak, the king of Moab, is beside himself and he goes up on another mountain. And the process is repeated. And this time, when he blesses the children of Israel, There's a particular phrase that's captured there, three verses. We're going to put it on the screen. We want you to read it. It influences our story today. So 1,500 years earlier from the time that the Magi leave the land of the east because of the illuminating body that is in the sky and make their journey to Jerusalem 500 to 900 miles, approximately 60 to 90 days, even up to 120 days, Many believe that they're moved because of this prophecy. Now, I don't have a lot longer today, so I, but I want you all to stay with me. This is all going to come together here in just a moment. Read it with me. And so, this is Balaam. And Balaam took up his parable, the son of Beor, and he said, The man whose eyes are open hath said, he's speaking of himself, Hath God he hath said, which heard the words of God, And knew the knowledge of the Most High. And saw the vision of the Almighty falling into a trance, but having his eyes wide open. Verse 17, I shall see him, but not now. He's saying, I'm seeing something coming, but it's not right in the immediate future. He said, I shall behold him, but it's not near. There shall come a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite the corners of Moab, and destroy all the children of Sheph. And so, take that prophecy, hold it, and it is believed that this particular prophecy, let me go ahead and break it down for you. In this prophecy, you will see two reference points. A star. Well, in almost all ancient cultures, almost all ancient cultures, a star represented deity. It doesn't take much to go through the archaeological record and you'll find a star. Even the Hebrew Bible. In one of the the book of Isaiah, there's a reproof of the children of Israel who have fallen prey to idolatry. And here's what they said. The star of your God Molech. So, the star represents deity. And then the scepter represents royalty. So, what we have from that utterance of Balaam high upon the mountains of Moab, looking down upon the children of Israel encamped, the prophetic word was this not near, not in the immediate future, but sometime past, 1500 years is what it would become. God said, There's one coming. God said there's one coming, a king of divine or heavenly origin who's going to be in the earth. He'll have a scepter, but he's not going to just be an earthly king. He's going to be a divine king. <laughs> Woo, I feel Jesus right there. So many believe that this messianic prophecy had influenced the magi when they were living in the east. So they're not just star stargazing, but they're searching the stars waiting for the divine revelation. Now, let me go a little bit further. I'm adding to the story. But you say, well, how did they know the timetable? Well, there's another prophetic word. Remember, I mentioned Daniel also in Persia. Daniel had a vision that's called the the dream of 70 weeks, the 70 weeks of Daniel. And in that that prophetic utterance, a timetable is actually given from the Time that the children of Israel were allowed to go back and rebuild the, the city until the coming of Messiah. And those astrologers or astronomers could quickly total that up. And they didn't know the exact time, but they knew the near time. When the Messiah would come, because in that 70th week, there's a promise of him coming, making a covenant, being cut off. All of these things, the 70th week of Daniel, you read about it on your own. So many, they knew that the time was at hand. And can you imagine on that day when finally there was an illumination that they caught their eye and they said, wow, this is that moment. So now if all of this is true. When the star appears, they believe that Yahweh has sent a celestial body, a star, if you will, to announce the birth of Messiah, the divine king, the king of the Jews. And so the narrative of the commencement of their journey and the journey itself, it's really not mentioned. Even the number of magi is just speculation. Christian tradition added it as three because of the number of gifts. But the Bible doesn't give us any record. It could have been up to 12 or more. We have no record. The distance of the journey, again, as I mentioned, is believed to be between 500 to 900 miles, depending upon where they were at in the land of the east, which would also lead to whether it was a 60 up to even 120 days. So for today, though, let's talk about that star before I close this message off. Let's talk about that star, that that, that heavenly illuminating body. All we know is that the star really just appears twice. Did y'all know that? Many people don't catch that. Many people believe that the star went in front of the, the, the Magi for the entire 60, 90, day, twenty day journey, but we're not reading it close enough. It seems as if by the record, by the wording of Matthew, that the star appeared to them into the, in the east, and they knew to go to Jerusalem. But the star didn't lead them to Jerusalem, because if you read the record... When they got to Jerusalem, they were, first of all, they were surprised that the people and the inhabitants and the king of Jerusalem didn't know anything about the star, and yet they, once they obtained where the promised seed was going to be born and find that it's in Bethlehem, when they're leaving Herod's palace, it, Matthew says, as they're making the journey, do you know it's only four to six miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem? And so when they're leaving Herod's palace and they get outside the city gates of Jerusalem, the star that they had seen in the east but most likely had not seen since reappears and leads them on that final leg of the journey. And that star is moving in front of them. Woo, I feel Jesus on that, moving in front of them and stops over the house of Joseph, Mary, and the child. Now, they're not at the stable now. So so that's a different time frame, but we won't talk about all that today. Now, what, what of the star again? Did you know some say it was not necessarily a natural star because of its movement, because of its appearance, its disappearance, its appearance, and then its movement. I've heard that some say it was a supernatural phenomenon. Perhaps even the very angel that was in the cloud by day and the fire by night to the children of Israel. Some have said that it was the Shekinah glory of God that had lifted off of the tabernacle or off of the temple at the destruction of it and now was seen again hovering over the house where the young child was. You know, I like that. I could preach that. But you know, other historians believe that with the Magi's knowledge of the celestial heavens, they could recognize the difference. And they called it a star a celestial body. Some conclude that the star was a special alignment of the stars, if you will, because when stars align, the last one in the line illuminates brightly, aided by those that are behind, back-to-back. They call that a constellation conjunction. Others say that the star was a birth of a star, and when a star is born, it initially shines in magnified brilliance. Some say it was a nova. A nova is when there's an obscure star that maybe you didn't even or couldn't even see, but then there's a sudden bursting of illumination that caused it to illuminate. Others say that it was a supernova, which is many times described as the perhaps the dying of a star, which has a sudden brilliance before it so slowly fades out. But for you and I, we don't really know what it was. To the Magi, here's what it was. It carried a divine message, is what it did. It carried a divine message, and their journey seems to have been initiated by the appearance of the star. They are surprised by the inhabitants of Jerusalem that are not celebrating its appearance, and Matthew again reveals to us that as they're leaving Herod's palace, that star is moving in front of them. And the Bible says, when they left the palace and they saw the star, they rejoiced at its appearance, and so would you. And you know, when I started thinking about this and pondering it to prepare my heart to minister to you, here's where I arrived at a conclusion, and I'm near the end here today. I believe both the natural and the spiritual hypothesis of the star are credible. I do. I believe they're both credible. And I, and I was moved just thinking about it for just a little bit, whether it is a, a consolation, a conjunction, a nova, a supernova, or whether it was the angel that was in the cloud and the fire in the days of the exodus of the children of Israel. I can't say one way or the other. I think they're both credible. But once, uh, once the Magi arrived at the home where the baby child or the child was and entered the home the, and bearing their famous gifts, uh, notice what they do. They kneel before the King of the Jews. It's a powerful story. It's beautiful. It's part of the Christmas narrative. At this time, though, I would like to return to my title. The star was not in the sky. And the statement alone seems to contradict scripture. But let me rephrase it and maybe it will help you. Yes, there was an illuminating celestial body that was certainly seen in the sky. But that was not the star that was promised by Balaam or prophesied by Balaam, the son of Beor. Because listen to it and read it carefully. Balaam's prophecy does not say there shall come a star in the heavens. Rather, the prophecy says there shall come a star out of Jacob. So, now let me catch this. Uh, there's this, oh, there's a. oh, I've got to be careful. My Pentecostalism will, will bubble up in me here today. While there was an illuminating celestial body that they saw in the east, and was seen again in Jerusalem, and led the Magi to Bethlehem. Yes, there was an illuminating orb that was in the sky. But I want to say it again. The star was not in the sky. The star was in the house. I came along on this Christmas Eve morn to tell you that the illuminating orb was not the star. I came along to tell you that the child, sitting in the lap of his mother that had made a journey from the bosom of the God of Abraham all the way through the womb of Mary. And now the little child, probably still nursing on his mother's breast, that little child was the star of Jacob. Hallelujah. I'm preaching myself happy today. So that's the real star. The real star. Who was that real star? I'll tell you who he was. He was the prophesied seed of the woman who would crush the head of the serpent. He was the one with the scepter in his hand and the word of God in his mouth. That was the star. He was the one that was born of the earth, but he was born of a heavenly progeny. The star is the first and he's the last. (laughs) that star was the beginning and he's also the ending he's the alpha that star was the alpha and he's also the omega that star is the redeemer that star's the great physician that star was the line of the tribe of judah that star was the judge the teacher the healer and the bomb of gilead glory to god that star that was seated in the lap of his mother Is the rose of Sharon. He's the lily of the valley. He's the good shepherd. He's the fountain of life that stars the man of sorrows. He is the way, the truth, and the life. He is the resurrection and the life. He's the stone that the builders rejected. He's the bread. He's the rock of offense. He's the prophet like unto Moses. He's the one that was and is, and he is to come. He is that star. He's the star of Jacob. I want you to know today, he is that star, glory to God. Hallelujah, and I don't know about you. I came to worship that star today. You know how I know that the Magi knew the difference between astronomy and astrology? It's because when they got to the house and that glorious illuminating orb had hovered over the house and they had gifts in their hand they didn't stop outside the house and bend their knee in idolatry and lift up and praise the host of heaven but rather they went in the house pushed the door open and said this is now the holy place and the glory of almighty God is now in this house and they bent their knee and bowed before the Christ and presented their gifts because they knew they had a revelation the star was never in the sky in the first place for the star was in the house glory to God Woo! that's good preaching on a Christmas morn like today and I'm gonna say let the worship team join me I got one more verse of scripture and then I'm gonna get out of your way I promise the young children if they wouldn't get too squirmy they wouldn't get added to the naughty list and I wouldn't preach long <laughs> you say pastor Brown how do you know that the star was in the house? That's a fair question. How do we know? Said a star of J? Because Jesus said it by his own lips. Did you know the last of the seven I am statements of Jesus? Seven verses, I believe, before the end of the canon of Scripture. The canon of Scripture in the book of Revelation ends with, even so, come Lord Jesus. Come quickly, I believe it's Revelation 22 and 23. I think, but back up seven verses in the 16th verse of Revelation 22. Jesus said, I am the root and the offspring of David, and I am the bright and the morning star. That's why I came along to tell you the star wasn't in the sky. The star was in the house. Come on, somebody. He's that star. Won't you stand up today? I don't know about you. You ought to be like the Magi. You came on a long journey to get to this house today. And I just hope as we go out of here on this Christmas morn that you give everything in your heart, your mind, your soul, your spirit. We're going to sing a song of celebration. And we're going to worship the one true living God who chose to reveal himself, God incarnate. The God King came to dwell among us. It was a star and a scepter. He is the God king and let's worship him today with all of our heart in closing this service won't you join us in worship I want to encourage you I want to do so I want to just be wild here for just a moment won't you step out of the seat in front of you won't you gather at the front for just a moment we'll sing one song I'll come back up and I'll close you in prayer and we'll let you go be with your family but I don't know about you there's something in my heart maybe you didn't bring gold maybe you didn't bring frankincense and maybe you didn't bring myrrh but I'll tell you what you can bring the sacrifice of your praise you can bring the sacrifice of your praise and you can pour it out upon him today in Jesus name. I'll go down and stand amongst my family and worship with you for just a moment and I'll come back up and close us in prayer today. Come on church family let's worship come on. Listen, I want to ask you to do something with me. Would you bow your heads for just a moment of time? Because it would I would be amiss on a day like today if I didn't give an opportunity for every person here to, maybe maybe you have, and most of you have, I'm sure, made that profession of faith and believed in God. But there could have been somebody among us today, a family member, a friend that came into this house today. And, and you know about God, you're like the Magi you've, you've seen and followed from afar, but you Today is the day when you were confronted close to close, face to face in this moment of time. You say, Pastor Brown, how today? What can I give? I didn't bring gold or frankincense or myrrh. God wants your heart. He wants you. He wants you. That's, That's what he came for here today. That's why he came. Jesus came for you. He came for you. So you can give yourself to him right now, entirely, all of your being. So I want to ask you to pray that with me. If there's anybody here in the sound of my voice that and most of you, again, I know, and I'm your pastor and your friend, and I know of your faith and your relationship with God. But we can all pray this prayer together today, and it will help us. It may be helped someone here have an easier time to say these words. We could just say, Father God, today, I believe in Jesus. I confess him as my Savior and my Lord. I ask you, Lord God, to forgive me of all my sin and to cleanse me from all unrighteousness. Today, Lord, I am yours, and I will follow you the rest of my life. In Jesus' name, and all God's children said today, amen and amen and amen. Father God, today, what a privilege.